It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, the only candidate on the ballot who can finally fix this whole mess, and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Hey, Coach. I had the chance to be a part of a recruiting symposium organized by Caba Tolbert. He is the assistant track and field coach at Harvard University, and he holds these frequently uh, just to get together with other primarily track and field coaches who want to talk recruiting, and I've seen it on Twitter before, and he was kind enough to invite me on to talk with him and the rest of the coaches who are regularly a part of this. I'll put all of Kaba's information in the show notes if you want to get in touch or be a part of future symposiums. They're great, and this is a great opportunity just for uh, he and I and the coaches to talk about trends that we're seeing, mistakes that coaches make, and some good general recruiting overview stuff that uh, some of which you may know, but a lot of it is going to be new. So I hope that you enjoy it. I will prep you ahead of time. It was a long conversation. It went almost an hour. So uh, hopefully that's not too much. But uh, if you listen to the whole thing, I think you'll get a lot out of it. And that's the goal. So with that, let's listen in. Okay. So basically we... um. You know, if you're a college coach, recruiting is, is super important. Obviously, it's how you get your talent. Um, it's how you how you build your program, how you build your team, whether you're, you're an event coach or overall coach or department. Um, it, it, it's basically, you know, outside of your coaching skill, it's probably the next most important thing. And so um, I feel like, you know, I'm 51 now. I've been coaching since 1994. Um, I've become a much better recruiter throughout my career. I wasn't very good at first, you know got decent and I got better than decent and I'm fairly good now. Um, but um, some of it's through trial and error. Some of it's been um, having mentors and coaches and consultants and things like that and and stealing ideas from people. And so it's not like I just figured it out on my own, but I wanted to share because I know sometimes recruiting can feel like, well, what do I do? And so, you know, um, Dan Tudor here, he's a recruiting expert um, and I have him here to help out and give input. And like I said, feel free to ask questions. Um, if you want to just raise your hand, I'll, I'll, I'll pick on you to, to ask what you want to ask. But the biggest, there's some big misconceptions about recruiting. What I say is like, where do we start? You know, the biggest thing I think you need is you need to have a plan when you recruit and not just we want to get good kids. I mean, I mean, really have a plan of like, what are you going to do? What's your strategy going to be? In order to have a plan, you got to know what's important. And so when I look at recruiting, I think about when I think about a plan, it's like, what am I trying to, what am I trying to do? Okay. What am I trying to do? So besides just that I want to get good kids, it's, I want to have a couple of goals in mind when I start a recruiting cycle. So let's look, let's think about it in terms of a year long or a multi-year recruiting cycle for a particular graduating class. And so when I think of it like that, I say, okay, what's my plan? My plan is that I want to build a pool of talented student athletes um, that are fairly interested in my in my program. And of that pool, I want to get a significant amount of them uh, to enroll at, at my school and commit to my program. Now that sounds really simple, but it's 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 hard work. What I mean and, and the reason why I say those things is that you know you want the reason why you want to build a pool, a big pool is because if you've been in the game long enough, even more than a year or two, you know that not every kid wants to come to your school and it's not personal. You know, so as you're building, if you don't build a big pool, 
than that kid that you really wanted that goes to your rival or that kid that you really wanted that the school your school going to cost too much or that school that you really wanted that um maybe somebody else offered them a starting position or that kid that you really wanted that their girlfriend or boyfriend lives closer to a different school you're going to lose kids and i think when you're recruiting you have to start out assuming that a significant portion of the kids that you initially identify are going to go somewhere else like you just you just have to start there so, you know, if you want 10 kids in your program the next year, you probably have to identify at some point 150, maybe something like that in the early process. And you whittle it down and you whittle it down. But the thing is, you get to a certain point where there's a strong level of mutual interest because you've built that relationship and you've built that, that communication strategy. So from that point, how do you get those kids to pick your school over others? And I think that's where the nuts and bolts come in of, you know, what, what, are the, what are important strategies? So once we get to identify the pool, we've reached out, we've connected, you know, how do you do that? One, you know, when nuts and bolts of, you know, are you are you talking to coaches who are important or influential or talented um, in your in your region? Um, are you talking to coaches and programs across the, across the state or the country or the region that tend to produce highly talented people? You know, and are you giving them a reason that when kids ask coach, what should I look at? What school should I look at? You're giving them a reason to say, hey, you should consider this school, you know? And I think it's important that that you don't just rely on people reaching out to you. So as you're building your plan, it's like, okay, who am I going to contact? How am I going to reach out? How am I going to identify people? Okay. What things are important? You know, I think it's really important when you're starting out to understand that you need to have a story in your recruiting process. That's probably one of the most important things like figure out what is your story, understand what is your story. And what I mean by that is that um, I'm at Harvard. This is my 13th year here. It's different than being at University of Tennessee. It's different than being at Colby College where I went to school. It's different than being at Texas El Paso where I coached before I came to Harvard. Um, it's different than being at LSU. All those schools, each of those, each of those schools have their own story. And then each program at that school has its own story as well. And you can use the school story. You can use your program story. You can use your personal coaching story. And on top of that, you can also use other things to, to build your story of why your school is a school they should pick. Now, when I say that, I want to say one thing. I'm saying your job as the coach, as the recruiting person, is to, over time, consistently give the, 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 the athlete, maybe their coach, their parents, information about why you. And when I say you, I mean you as the coach, you as the program, so San Jose State track and field, you as a school, San Jose State, you as the city, San Jose. So you've got multiple things they're trying to pick. They're trying to pick a coach. They're trying to pick a program. They're trying to pick a school. And they're trying to pick a location. And some of those things, they may love parts of it and not the others. And so you have to kind of understand what you're selling to the athlete and to the family, okay? So who are you? You know, who are you? And when I say, again, you is you the coach. You is you, what is your program about? What is your school about? What is your area, location, city about? And those all have different stories to tell. So I know when I, when I, when I talk to coaches, when I mentor young coaches, and they say, oh, you know, I don't know what to tell the athlete. I don't even talk about them. Well, like, you can talk about any of those things, and they all have different facets. So 
if you're talking about your campus, you know, how many dorms do you have? What are your dorms like, as an example? What are your dining halls like? What kind of majors do you have? You know, so is your school known for arts and sciences? Is it known for having a great English department? You know, you may be a school that's maybe known for um, your, your foreign languages and your, and your study abroad program is unique. Is it known for having great financial aid? Is it known for being in an amazing, vibrant city? Is it known for being in a tranquil, idyllic environment that's really amazing and beautiful? You know, um, I've been at places that are very urban, been at places that are very, you know, amazingly beautiful, trees and flowers and lakes and things like that. And neither one of them are good or bad, but you want to attract people who are going to be interested in what you have to sell. So if you talk to a kid and they say, I want to be at a really small school, um, with the lake in the middle of campus and and class sizes of 10 and your smallest class size is 200 and you're, you know, just have bricks all around, you know, unless there's something you feel like you connect with that kid and that family, that may be a sign early on, like, hey, this kid is not for us. And so the reason why you want to cast a very wide net is because not every kid is going to be for you and you're not for every person. And I think once you understand that, the nose don't feel personal. You can say, okay, that person is not in our silo. These 25 other people are. Does that make sense? So, um, Dan, do you want anything that you think about those things and you want to chime in in your experience that you see about idea of selling what you have to offer, you know, all those you's that I named and um, understanding that, that each place, each school, each program, each coach has a unique story to tell? Yeah, I mean... I sit back and just, you know, listening to you keep talking because I, I took about a half a page of notes just uh, from from your first 10 minutes. Um, here, here's what I would say. I mean, I'm going to take the the approach or sort of the um, – I'm, I'm going to approach this with what we've done for 20 years and also, you know, large schools, small schools, and, and everything in between. Um you hit on a couple of things. Let's go through them real quick, and then we can you know dive into them a little bit deeper, uh, and you can lead that, or people can ask questions. But you've started things out with what's your plan, and the reason I wrote that down, the reason I think it's so important, is that most coaches have a plan for their career. They have a plan uh, of you know certainly training, practice, you know, making sure their athletes are peaking at the right time. All that. Then there's science to it. There's mechanics to it. And you're, you're trying to, to measure everything out and pace it. And yet when it gets to recruiting, what happens a lot of the time is coaches just say, well, I got to go get kids. Um, so here's a bunch of stuff on our school. And why don't you come visit and let's talk. And if you did that, if you did the equivalent of that in track and field, in any event, what would the results be like? Um, it would be a disaster. And so the the same intricate planning, the same measurement, the same approach that you would take in developing somebody and making taking them from a, a very good hurdler to a great hurdler, uh, take that same approach, that same philosophy and approach it to recruiting. And I think you begin then to do what you're talking about, which is to build a program and to build a great team. And I think every coach wants that, um, but you have to put in the work. And so my sport right now in my mid fifties is tennis. I played it in high school and a little bit in college and coming back to it, you know, the importance of just doing the things that are in my, in my view as a tennis player, boring, 
go out and hit on the ball machine for an hour and a half and work on technique and repeat, repeat, repeat. Well, that's not as fun as playing in a match. And yet when you get to the match, that's what, that's what helps, uh, you know, just make everything better. And so to do that in recruiting, that, that really matters. So what does that look like? Well, you pointed out, you know, over time, you're telling this story. Uh, how do you do that? You do it over time, you do it consistently, and then you, you really are trying to answer the question, why? And a lot of coaches do really good at the what part, not the why part. The what part is, what do we have here? Here's what our program can offer. Here's what our school can offer. Here's this. And it's a series of, and it's, uh, it's a collection of bullet points of here's what. And when we talk to and do focus groups and do research and testing with these athletes who just make recruiting decisions, they're still young in the process. They are very close to why they made the decision. So we can go in and take information from them. They already know the what. I would say in this day and age, most people, whether they're coming to Harvard or um, East Tennessee or Cal State Bakersfield or wherever it is, they have the reason they should go and visit and take that school seriously. Very few athletes we find are just sort of wandering onto a campus at the invite of a coach and coming in and saying, I have no idea what you're all about, didn't do any research. Um, that's not it. They're coming there with enough of an explanation in their mind of, okay, I can see some reasons why I should be here, but now it's between you and two or three other schools. So I'm really here to figure out the, the, the why, why should I be here at this school? And when coaches approach it just with a series of here's what we have, here's what I'm going to show you this, I'm going to tell you about this, and I'm going to repeat all the stuff that probably is on our website or that we talked about on the phone. Um, what do kids do? They start to tune out because I need to know, coach, you make the case to me. Why should I come here? Why should I compete for you? Why should you be the one to train me? Why do I get my de degree from this school? And that's, I think you nailed it. That's what telling the story is all about. And, you know, you also mentioned, um, you know, things like, you know, the location and the degree and, you know, here's what the dorms are like, all things that as adults we might take for granted. Uh, and yet, where they're going to eat, who they're going to hang out with, what is the dorm room like? For most kids coming in, whether they're a high-level, top-tier Division One athlete or a, a solid kid, Division Three uh, profiled athlete, no matter who they are, men, women, across the board, they're trying to figure out and get a picture for why I should go to that school and what is it going to be like when I get there? And um, so I think a lot of coaches would say, well, that's, you know, maybe that's the boring stuff or I've told, I've told a thousand athletes the same thing and I don't want to say it again. Well, you have to, because you're now you're at athlete 1001 and they have the same thing uh, as a need that, that the first athlete had, which is why should I go here? And why are your dorms better? Why, why is it going to be more fun here? And how is training going to be different? And that's what we find coaches as a part of that story just don't really get into. Um, so, that's, you know, the story is everything. And if it's told well and told consistently and told in a variety of mediums, everything go goes a lot smoother. Nothing's ever guaranteed. It's, you can't be 100% successful at any recruit, uh, in any recruiting class, but you can be really good and very consistent and get more top level athletes over a longer period of time versus less if you do it that way. Let me ask you a question. Um, so this idea of storytelling, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like dating in a sense in that, like, you know, it's very, very unlikely you're going to meet somebody and say, let's go on a date. And then that day, say, let's get married. 
And I feel like so often a lot of coaches have that approach or, or don't or have that kind of juvenile kind of mindset, like, oh, we're going to meet and fall in love. And, you know, in recruiting, it's like you're not going to call a, a lot of coaches are going to call a kid. I'm going to send them a letter. I'm going to invite them to visit and they're going to go on to come because everything because my school is so awesome. Um, talk about that and maybe talk about the idea of, you know, you're courting for a long time to get to a final yes. Yeah. I, I, first of all, I mean, you sort of outlined it right there that it's a long process. And, you know, as coaches, you know, at a college, what are we are, the one thing that we're all very in tune to is our college's process. So, you know, at a place like Harvard, for example, we got to move quick because here's what's going to happen. And it's a competitive environment. And, um, and, you know, I need this, this, and this done. And the same thing holds true really for any, any college. They each have their unique process. And the coach's goal as administrators, as just this is your, your job and you're in year seven as a coach and you just got the process at my school down, I want the process to go fast so that I can basically get it done and move on and, and then just coach. And what we know is that it's a long process and it's taking longer and longer, um, especially for these this class and probably the next one, just with some of the economic changes and you know, just inflation and kids and parents are worried more about money and they're taking longer to figure things out. So for the coach that wants to go quick, um, it's it's more difficult because you know you, you perfect analogy with dating. If on the first date you were ex you know wanted to exchange blood tests and you know why don't you uh, come spend the night at, uh, at you know my apartment or whatever you know it you might drive a lot of people off. And so the thing that that we find is that with athletes, the more that you lead them through the process, certainly, but being patient and doing it a little bit at a time as they're ready, um, it, it makes more sense. And the coaches that get in a hurry, frankly, I mean, I like competing with those coaches because we work with clients. And so we're involved in competitive situations against other coaches, other schools. And I like it when that other coach wants to rush because for most athletes, it goes completely against what they're really all about. And what they're trying to do is I got to figure out if it fits me. And coach, you need to make the case why it fits me. And you know what? I want to talk to you first before I come to campus. So for instance, like I'm telling that story and rushing the process. If on the first phone call, you're talking about, look, I want you to come to campus. I want you to visit. Well, the reason that that doesn't work very well for most athletes and most coaches that try it is that that's not the natural way we progress. Wait a minute, I'm just talking to you. I don't know much about your school. I haven't really talked to you as a coach. I don't have any concept of why I might want to go there. So accepting an invitation to campus, if I have no prior knowledge, especially, it's tough. So I need some context. And that's where that story comes in and, and taking little pieces at a time and beginning to feed them so that they remember it, they understand it, and then move forward with that process in, in something more serious. And, and again, it's not that every coach can't do it. It's just that a lot get impatient or they don't understand to your point that it's a process and this is a story. And like any good story, I need to sit back, take it in, think about it. Does that match what I want? Oh, it does. Okay. Well, what about that? Yeah, that does too. Okay. Well now maybe I do want to go to campus and going to campus might be in the middle of that, that process, or it could be at the end, but I, as the athlete, uh, who are your buyers, if you're in the marketing game, which you are as a college coach and a recruiter, then your customers, your buyers are making a buying decision and you have to give them room to do that and also the opportunity to, to explain to them why it should be us. Right, right. Something you said that I want to touch on um, is about, you know, telling your story 
and and taking a lot of time. We've been talking about that. And I wanna I wanna jump in and say one of the things when I talk to coaches that I'm working with and recruiting and things like that is that a lot of coaches will say, Well, I don't have that much to say, you know, or I don't want to just talk about our, you know, what we do in training and things like that. And so, you know, like I said earlier, um, I think that's a little bit short-sighted and misguided. And I'm going to say a couple of things. One is I think that coaches underestimate and don't necessarily, a lot of coaches underestimate and don't appreciate the very, and don't use the various styles and modes of communication available to them when they're working with um, recruits, their families, and their coaches. So basically everyone in their kind of circle of influence. And I think that's a mistake. One of the things I've learned over the years and that I think I've gotten relatively good at is being very diverse in my style of communication with um, the people I'm recruiting. What I'm, and I'll give you, some, I'll give you examples. So it's 2023, um, and you know we're in a text age and an email age. Emails almost going away. But um, when we work and communicate with our with our recruits, I mean, when I say recruits, I mean them, their families, their parents, their coaches, people at their school. In, in, in certain cases, we have a couple of different things that we do. Um, um, we use letters. We actually write letters to people. Um, I probably send my recruits at least one actual physical letter a month. Um, I will send parents, they'll get a letter in the mail from me probably at least once every other month. Um, my recruits will also get text messages from me. Um, hey, I saw this on campus and I thought of you, or I saw this and thought you might want to know about this. So this is an example, a text message might include um, just just words with a prompt. Hey, I saw this. What do you think? So you, you, you're giving them an opportunity to respond back to you and give you their feedback. When I send them letters, you know, I, I give them information. I tell them about something interesting or exciting um, about our school, our program, our location, and ask them for their feedback. How did it hit them? What did they think? What was their impression? Um, does it sound like something they want to be a part of. So I'm giving them a chance to respond affirmatively or negatively about something I'm telling them. Um, my recruits will also get emails from me. So my recruits will get um, several emails a month. So they'll get at least one letter a month um, and they'll get several emails from me. And usually between the letter and the email, I'm communicating about a particular theme, generally speaking. So um, let's say it's facilities. The, fir the, the first message might be, hey, this month I want to talk to you about our facility and why it's a great place to train and why we produce champions on it and things like that. Now, um, there are places that have better facilities in Harvard. That's, that's just a fact. Um, but we produce, we just had an NCAA champion in the cross country. We had NCAA champions in the track, in the field. So it's a place that's we are able to produce champions, you know, Ivy League champions and, and so on and so forth in all Americans. So we talk about the various places that we train. We talk about what we feel the positives of it are. We don't talk. We don't talk about the negatives, if whatever they might be. Now, every place has some negatives, but you say this is what we're able to do here. This is what we're able to produce year in and year out. This is why our kids are excited to be here and train in these facilities. And by facilities, I mean, you know, I'm a track coach, so you know, what's our indoor track like? What do we train outdoors? What do we lift at? Where's our um, Where's our sports medicine? Um, what other types of services we have available in our athletic? Um, complex for other teams and so we have we're fortunate to have 40 something teams at harvard so we have a lot of facilities we focus mostly on the track part but we talk about our locker rooms all those types of things so now over a month-long period i can do like an introduction and a brief overview i can talk maybe 
And one email about our locker rooms and maybe the training room. Another email I can talk about our indoor track. Another email, another um, message I can talk about uh, maybe our outdoor track. Along with those, I can send video of hey, this is a, these are our kids training on the track. Um, I can I can do a short video. Maybe I'm talking like 20, 30 seconds, not four or five minutes. Hey, so and so, tell me what you love most about the indoor track. Hey, so and so, tell me um, what do you like to you know what, what do you think about the weight room? You know, what I mean? so now. You're, I'm not necessarily responsible for putting things into my words. You're hearing from people that are directly involved in experiencing and living it day to day. So now I've got letters, text messages, I've got video messages, I have email, I have photos. Depending on what you're talking about in that particular monthly cycle or in your cycle of a particular message, you may have articles about your facility or about your school, about your dorms, about your mate, whatever it might be. Now you can diversify and it doesn't feel monotonous in the same, oh, another letter in the mail. Now when they get a letter, they're excited. Now when they get a video, oh man, coach sent me a video. Now when you tell your parent, tell the parents, hey, last week I sent Joey uh, an email about um, our dorms and why these three dorms are really cool and, and they, they produce 20 old scholars. Um, you know, you should take a look at it. Now that now they're talking to Joey about, hey, the, send me the email that Coach Talbot sent you. Now they're having a discussion about your program in your school. So the idea of communication is that there's a couple of things. One is that you don't need to tell it all at once. So, you know, you're not like, I send a letter about facilities and they get a book. You know, I, that's what I used to do when I was young. I used to send four page letters and think I told the whole story. Now over a month, I can send six to seven messages you know, in different lengths, in different styles to different people and create a dialogue. And at the same time, I'm asking them what their thoughts on that are. Does this does this fit the picture of what they want to, where they want to train? Does this fit the picture of dorms or campus, where they want to live? Is this a type of city where they want to um, spend their four years? In? And so all of those are different types of examples of how you engage them, how you can engage them and the people they're involved with and the influencers. And they can ask you questions. Hey, coach, I noticed you wrote about this. Hey, coach, you sent us an article on this. Hey, coach, you sent us a link about the dorms that talked about this. Can you tell me more? If them and their parents, oh, coach, we really, really liked it. That was really cool. Can you tell us more? Um, hey, coach, I noticed that girl in the video. Um, she was talking about she does this in her dorm. She goes to the dining hall and it's really cool. Um, that seems awesome. You know, you're, you're getting engagement um, from them about these things. And so you're slowly, um, carefully building um not just excitement, but like you let them understand what it is that you, you, the coach, the program, the school are about. And so um, the idea of communication, I think, um, is misunderstood a lot. People think they either have to be on the phone or they have to write a letter or email and like it has to be long. You know, a lot of my phone conversations, unless it's very, very targeted about something very specific, are three to six minutes. You know, sometimes they're a little longer, but they're usually not much longer than 10, unless it's something very specific, We're talking about a process or something like that. So our communication is really multifaceted and it's meant to build over time and kind of culminate and then move on to something else and, and tell a different part of the story. So, you know, a friend of mine said, you know, he has a joke, says, you know, how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time. Well, it's like, you know, how do you tell your story of your programming, your school and, and, and what you're doing? It's one communication at a time and whatever that communication is, it should be very varied. So Danny thoughts, feedback, uh, things you might disagree with things you think I missed or. Uh, no, I mean, I, so what you, let me explain what, what is right about that whole process. Um, that, you know, so first of all, I'll start from what, you know, something you just said right at the end is that, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? 
And I think what intimidates coaches about even just going back to the idea of telling a story is like, well, what do I say? I don't know what to say about our, you know, our campus or the the team or our, our facility, or I don't have a nice facility. And so how do I talk about that? And what, what you just said, I think if every coach followed that, then uh, they'd be successful. And here's why, because as an athlete, I can be, I have so many questions no matter where I'm going to go or, or who I'm being recruited by, even if I'm excited. So, you know, again, let's take, you know, at Harvard, there's a lot of prestige that goes out in front of that. So a lot of people on this call would say, oh man, I'd, I'd love to be at Harvard because, um, you know, it just, you know, it's Harvard. And so I don't, what a great place to sell. I could sell that so easy. Well, you know, it's also for an athlete um, and just looking and, and working with different Ivy League institutions and different sports, one of the big objections, if you're a serious athlete, is wait, shouldn't maybe I go to you know a uh, uh, an SEC, Big Twelve school, uh, Big Ten school, and not have the academic requirements? Because man, it's going to be hard at a, at an Ivy League, and and you know this is too intimidating. It's going to be too much work, and so every coach, every place has the thing that they're going to get an objection about, and. The only way to overcome that, whether it's at a place like Harvard or at a smaller school that maybe somebody has never heard of before that you're starting to recruit, I have to tell that story. I have to explain to them the why, like we talked about before. And what you pointed out is when I do it in a variety of different ways, it keeps me as the athlete off balance. I don't know what to expect next, which then does what? It keeps me interested. Um, yeah, you mentioned you, you send out letters. And the thing with a letter is if I get the, a piece of paper as a, as an athlete, first of all, I, I'm probably only getting these from one or two coaches or programs that bother to send it. So what happens? I read it. It gets passed around. It lays around on the counter. It goes up on the refrigerator. I put it on my desk or my counter, my dresser, and my, my room as, a, as an athlete. And over time, those begin to stack up and stack up. And I begin to look and say, wow, there's physical evidence that a coach wants me and I can hold this. And so much of my world as a teenager, all of our worlds now are on these things. I can get rid of messages so quick. I can delete, 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 delete and swipe and or put it in a file, never look at it again. I can't do that with this. And so what it does is you, you write me something and it sounds like you just took the time to write me. You're telling me something interesting. Then you're asking a question and I respond because you've made it easy and you've asked me a question rather than just telling me a bunch of stuff. And isn't the point of recruiting getting a response? I mean, I think most coaches on these calls, on this call and in this training, the whole reason you want to send something out or make a phone call is you want response. You want feedback. I want to know, are they interested? Oh, they are interested. Okay, well, what do we need to do next? Or what's their objection? I need to figure that out. I need to move them through the process. I can't move them through the process unless I get attention. What gets attention and what gets a response is when you tell me something, a fact about your school centered around the idea of here's why it's great here. Here's why you're going to like it. Here's how you should think about our facility. Um, you mentioned Harvard. We don't have the newest facility, but here's what we've done here. And prospect, here's how I've feel like we're going to be able to train you. Okay, well, now now I'm interested. Now the age of the facility doesn't matter because now you're telling me how I'm going to benefit from it. And again, most coaches don't take the time to do that. 
And then we move to this, this central question of why does it need to be in writing? Now, it doesn't have to be always printed, but I think you're wise to send out you know that just every couple of weeks because these get passed around. It matters. It's physical evidence, and we don't have enough of that in our lives in general, especially if you're a, a prospect. But the written word really matters. And there's only a couple of ways that we can sell a program through the written word. You can text them. That's technically words on a screen. They're going to read it. And the reason reading is so important is that's how they've grown up communicating. This generation has been texting, they're on social media, they're communicating back and forth primarily with text, with words. If you aren't writing stuff to them and you're trying to only do phone calls or, um, you know, or you're only doing social media uh, images, I can't communicate like that. And you're not going to have a conversation with me very easily anyway, especially at the start. I need to be able to look at something, read it, absorb it, think about it, and then ask you a question. So that's why like on phone calls, especially at the start of the process, and I, we have coaches and maybe some are, are you know, uh, a part of uh, tonight's thing that we're doing who say, well, I want to be really personal. I love talking on the phone. It's the way I you know, grew up communicating. So I'm going to use the phone a lot. I just like to make phone calls. And it's really hard to get them to talk at first. It's because you're putting them on the spot or you get very surface answers and you're asking a question. Well, I don't know how to answer that. So I'm going to give you a very surface answer and hopefully it move. I just move on. And the reason is because I need to read, absorb, think about it, and then reply. Um, the other thing is that if we're trying to tell the story, which is really selling our school, selling our program, selling me as a coach, what we know doesn't work is when I try to do that, for instance, through a phone call or through text messaging. If I'm on the phone, I say, you know, hey, Kaba, just uh, let me give you three quick reasons why our our dorms are going to be amazing for you. And number one is da 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 da. Number two is this. Well, now what, what am I doing? I'm selling to you on the phone and you're hearing that. Do any of us like being sold on the phone? The answer is no. Um, what about text messaging? Well, you know, I just make the example that, you know, every once in a while I hear my phone buzz. I have an alert. There's a text that comes through and I look because, you know, we coaches work, we work with coaches and we need to respond right away. And I look and it's, you know, AT&T, you've used 16 gigabytes of your plan. And if it goes over, it's like, oh man, now I know I, I don't need that. Or, you know, you end up buying something and they text you offers and deals and I don't need that. I don't want that. We ne none of us like that. So as coaches, as marketers, because that's really what you are, be thinking about how does this generation take in information they read? I need words. Okay, what are the appropriate ways to do that? Well, I can't talk to them on the phone and sell them early. I can't text them because they get annoyed and they'll stop responding to me. So I need to do what you just described. I need to put something out there. Hey, here's something I think you'll like about us. What do you think? And, and how does that sound to you? Well, I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but then it gives me a chance to read it, read it, think about it, wait a day maybe, and then I'll get back to you and say, hey, Coach Shio, so that sounds pretty good, but what about this? Oh, okay, well, here's the answer to that. What have we just accidentally slipped into now as a prospect? A conversation with a coach. And if you as a coach make it easy for me to do that and don't push me and don't corner me with questions on the phone right away that I don't know how to answer. And then I feel stupid. Maybe I blew it and that was just tough. And the next time you call, well, I don't want to talk. Maybe he's going to ask me a bunch of questions again. 
if we do it very lightly at first and invite them for the conversation and then get them to know us and see that we're not going to uh, ask them tough questions. We're going to ask them questions about themselves, which they know how to answer. That's what gets us to the point then of saying, hey, you know what? I don't care about your facility anymore. I don't care about your division level. I don't care if it's not a full scholarship. I see that you want me and I you're approaching me the right way. So now I am interested in taking a campus visit. So the approach, I think, is is critical. And I think you outlined it really well in the way that you sort of described, uh, you know, the way that you do it. Gotcha. A couple of things you said, one thing I want to I touch on. You talked about, I want to talk about maybe kind of move into a mistake that I see people make. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on a couple, and maybe I'm gonna prompt you, and then maybe tell me what you think. So you talked you talked about um, recruits and their families' objections and getting to the objections and, and understanding them. Um, what what is it that you think coaches misunderstand about um, why do coaches miss the objections, and then why do coaches often it's like I don't want to know what they don't like? You know, um, right. why is that a why is that a problematic way of thinking about recruiting? Oh yeah, it's a fantastic question. So. Um, what we know, and I'll say what we know, we, certainly prospects talk about objections and how they're using it, but also just in a in a sales situation. Um, if you're walking through a store and okay, you're you're with your family, you're with your wife, and your wife ducks into a store and um, they see you wandering around and um, or hey, we're getting ready for you know the holidays and everything. We're going out shopping. If I'm just looking, somebody comes up and says, oh, so, you know, welcome in. Is there anything I, can help, anything I can help you with? Our common answer is, I'm oh, just looking. I don't want to, I, you know, I'm just looking. And so then they go, you know, and you know, say, oh, okay, that, that, that's fine. Um, in other words, if I'm not there serious, then I'm not going to engage with you in, I'm not going to offer you an objection. I might be walking through the store thinking, wow, this is a horrible store. I don't like this. There's nothing in here that I would want to get my family, my wife. And so, but we're not going to say that to them because we're not, you know, we're, we just, we're there. We wandered in a store. We don't want to make a big interaction. Hey, everything's fine. Now we're, we're all just looking. So that, that signals what? I'm not interested. I'm not going to be buying anything. If I walk in and I really, I need to get something from this store. Uh, deadlines ticking, you know, uh, holidays, Christmas is just a little bit away. I got to get my wife something. Um, I, you know, that person, that same salesperson comes up and says, Hey, welcome in. Anything I can help you with? I'm going to probably say, you know what? I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking for this. I need to sort of, I'm going to start describing what it is. I'm going to then engage maybe, you know, the, uh, I don't know, that's a little too expensive. I was thinking more like this and she might come back or the salesperson might come back. Well, it's, look, if we'll, this actually comes together with this and, you know, if the price isn't that bad, we're engaging a little bit of an argument, but you know why? Because I'm interested in buying something. My whole point in saying that is that if you as a coach aren't getting objections, if you're not getting a prospect to say, coach, you know, you, saw, you talked about your dorms, but I noticed that blah, 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 blah. It, this is, I don't know, because this other school I visited, they have this. So um, I don't know if your dorms are as good as that school. Now, a lot of coaches, you might hear that, a lot of coaches would hear that and say, oh, here we go again. It's our lousy dorms, can't win because they're old. And, you know, now I got to apologize and try to get around this. Um, what I want you to know is that if that, that, prospect was not interested in you, he or she would not be talking or making an objection about the dorm. So the point is when you hear an objection, 
and you should be looking for them because when you hear an objection, when they ask, say, hey, coach, I don't know, it's too expensive or you're too far away or you finished last last year or you're a brand new coach, I'm sure you're going to be around the program for a long time, they're interested. That's the headline is they're interested because if I'm not interested in you, I'm going to be super polite. Hey, coach, thanks. Yeah, sure. I'll take a look at your stuff that you send me. Great. Um, and that's the same comments you get, you know, weeks into it, months into it. Um, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to get to campus, coach. Absolutely. Yeah, just it's tough, you know, with everything. And I've already got three campus visits scheduled. But, yeah, I'll try to fit you in because I'm interested. Um, coaches always ask, so are we in your top five? Oh, yeah, coach, you're in our top five. What am I doing? I, I don't want to be rude to you. I don't want to hurt your feelings. And so I'm just going to tell you what I want you to, what you want to hear. And then maybe eventually you'll leave me alone. A serious prospect is going to have objections. They're going to say, yeah, but coach this, or it's $3,000 more than the other school. And I don't know, my dad's saying this, and I'm offering all these explanations and reasons. Coach, don't be discouraged. You have somebody who is this close to committing to you, and they're very, very interested, but they're coming to you with an objection because when we do that, when we do that, as buyers in a sales situation that we're we're on the buying side now, we're doing it because I got to figure this out and I want to know why should it be you? Um, so that's the big mistake I think that coaches make with objections is that they hear them and think, ah, oh, here we go, it's our lousy whatever, insert you know the, the, the problem here. And yet what the athlete's saying is that, hey, I'm, I'm close, I'm thinking about it. I thought about this objection and I'm offering it up to you because really what they're doing is, Coach, how, what's the answer to that? So look for objections. It's a fantastic sign that they're interested. And if you can answer it in a way that is, um, you know, is, is just honest and, and transparent and gives them a reason to say uh, yes to that objection, then you might be a step closer to getting them. One thing, um, you know, I, I think that another common mistake that I see is that, People don't, um, coaches are hesitant to really include the parents. And, you know, one of the things I've found over the years is that, you know, you want to recruit the kids. They're the people you've been working with day in and day out. They're the people you have to coach. But, you know, parents, obviously, they've raised their kids and, 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 you know, they're, um, important people in their life for many, many reasons. And so, and then the other thing with parents is that they're older and wiser and more mature. So certain types of conversations you can have with the kids and certain types of conversations you can have with the parents and there's certain information you can get from parents that the kids won't tell you. I've had many, many parents say, yeah, coach, they really like you, but this, and the kid wouldn't say that to me. A coach, yeah, they're looking around, but you're the first, you're, you're our first choice and they know that that's where you should be. Don't worry about it. So, you know, you stop stressing or coach. Um, I think if they could see this on campus, they'll, they'll be ready to commit or mm -hmm. coach, um, you know, you, you know, when I talk to families, I ask parents and I'll ask kids to say what things are really important to you in your college search process. And you get an outline of, you know, so the kid might say, I want A, B, and C. Parents might say they want B, C, and D. And so then you get a picture of, okay, what's important to the kid? What's important to the parents? What's important to the family and the coach? You know, but I include the parents. And when I, one thing I'll tell you is that um, early on in my first phone call, my first, I usually do a Zoom call with families. I'll tell like in the first two minutes, say, listen, you know, mom, dad, don't be shy. 
Mom, mm-hmm. dad, I know your kids are going to give you a hard time by asking questions. They're going to feel embarrassed that you're talking about them in front of them. I said, you guys are an important part of the process. You know, I want you guys to be engaged. You guys, I want you guys to ask any questions you have. I said, parents have different questions than, than, than student athletes. And you should ask those because it's important for you guys to feel comfortable and at peace with them. Well, you might send your child who ends up being here. And I want you guys to feel comfortable asking me or anyone on the program any question. And so now all of a sudden you've got people who feel invited to be a part of the process. The kids see, feel like you have nothing to hide. And I'll tell parents, I said, I'm going to email your kids. I'm going to text your kids. You're welcome to look at it anytime. So I'm going to email you separate things. And now they they have a whole picture of, oh, this is a whole family process. And so I just feel like um, mm-hmm. from from the very first, when we first start recruiting, I'm including parents in it. I'm communicating with parents. I'm asking parents questions. Um, and on the visits, the parents are an important part of that as well. And I just feel like so many places um, are trying to not include the parents in the recruiting process and or on the visit. And so they miss out on important opportunities to really get um, important buy-in and important information. Um, any thoughts yeah. on that? Um, it's funny because we're heading in, in some sports this time of the year where coaches, whether they're clients or not, they'll call or email and say, hey, I got the situation. Can we talk? And that's what we're here for. And they'll they'll present a situation. I don't know where the athlete's at. I you know it's close, but it's between us and this, and I'm not quite sure what's holding it up. My first question always is, have you you know? So what are the parents saying? Have you talked to the parents? Ah, no, I don't really. I haven't really built a relationship with the parents. Um, one of the key things is that if you want the info at the end, if you're if you're running into situations in your career where it's cut down to the very end, you just don't know what to do with the prospect, and they're not giving you information. I'm going to tell you that having the parents, having that good relationship that it sounds like you build with parents at the beginning, that is a huge payoff at the end because now I can text mom, I can text dad because they're used to hearing from me and saying, yeah, I can ask them, hey, seems to be like there's, you know, she, she's having trouble making a decision, you know, what's, what's going on? And the parents will usually tell you. Um, and yeah, the, the parents are wiser, older, they're involved in the process. There's another important aspect too, is that for many of them, they're helping or funding um, the the education because not a lot of full track scholarships going around and most of your team is not on a full. And so I need the parents on my side because if I don't have them and I don't understand that they feel it might be worth it to invest at our, at this school in, in my, in my program, or they're, I need to know if they're on board with paying X number of dollars, whatever that is, and every school, you know, on this call has a different, you know, price point and scholarships, no scholarships. I need to understand early: are the parents on board, at least in theory, with be, this being a possibility? Because if they're not, as much as I want that triple jumper, as much as I want that pole vaulter, if they're not realistically looking and being able to afford my price point as a as a non full scholarship sport in most cases, then um, I need to move on. Because if, if they can't afford it, then what am I doing continuing to, um, uh, continuing to, uh, to do that? So um, the parents are, are hugely important. They're a huge influence. Uh, all our latest research say more than nine out of 10 times, the parent will give an opinion to the prospect and nine out of 10, more than nine out of 10 times, the prospect will move forward with that with doing what the parents advise. So I want the parents on my side. Um, and, um, you know, on th- th- they're a crucial part of the recruiting process. And let me just sort of 
finish this up by saying why, you know, what have we found coaches being hesitant about um, about approaching parents or or, or um, involving them in the process? And I think there's two main things. Number one, some coaches on the younger side are intimidated because you have a dad like me I'm in my mid fifties, and uh, I might ask tough questions. And maybe you're just uncomfortable talking with adults and everything as a younger coach. It's my only my second year um, or I'm my first year assistant coach or I'm a brand new head coach. And what do I talk to them about? And so it's just easier to avoid, you know, the parents. I can just relate better to the athletes. Um, it's just a skill you have to learn. You have to interact with the parents um, because they're they're involved. They're heavily involved in the decision. And vast majority of prospects want their parents involved and expect them to be involved. And so that's just something that is just a, a fact now that uh, you, you have to have that. And when you have it, boy, it makes it so much easier to, uh, to market to them and to bring them into the conversation and do everything that you described uh, that, that, you know, that's going on and that you've discovered in, in the recruiting process. I think, I think you're right on. Gotcha. Um, something you talked about earlier about, you know, like communicating with parents, like they're, you know, they're going to make decisions about money and location. And that was so like, it's important that they're on board with that. So a hundred percent. One last um, big mistake I want to talk about is yeah. um, communication gaps. You know, so, you know, when I, when I talk to other coaches and say, they say, oh, do you talk to so-and-so? Yeah, I talked to them a few weeks ago. Um, I mean, meaning that was the last communication of any kind with them, you know, and then, oh, what are you going to say? Oh, I don't know. It's like, you know, that importance of the consistency of communication. Again, those different styles, but can you can you maybe touch on real briefly yeah. why it's important to be consistent yeah. and not have large communication gaps um, no matter what school you're at? Yeah, How do kids interpret a simple that? answer, and I think most, most coaches will be able to relate to it, and especially if you put yourself back in your 17-year-old mind or from what you understand about this generation, even like what their their mindset is. That if I'll maybe go back to the dating scenario that you brought up a little bit ago, Kiva. Um, you know, if we're dating somebody and there's been some consistent communication, all of a sudden it stops and we don't hear from them one day and then the next day and then the next day and then two and a half weeks go by. What's going through your mind? Well, you know, that other person could have been busy. Maybe they got busy at work or school or whatever their other life, you know, responsibilities are. They just didn't, it's not that they don't like you anymore, but they're busy. Well, but what am I going to do? I'm probably going to assume the worst. And that's the same that we find with these athletes is that they're measuring as much as, you know, what your school has or the, the, the degree and what it offers or the, the prestige of the name. I want to know, does that coach want me? How do I measure that? I measure that by what are they communicating? How often, how consistently over what period of time? So, um, you know, again, like strategically, I'll share this, that when we work with programs and clients and coaches, sometimes the strategy is just to outlast all the other coaches who just give up or are inconsistent. And we, over time, just prove for a client or a coach that that we obviously are the right choice because we're the ones that have never stopped communicating with you. And we've been consistently communicating. So from a strategy standpoint, it's it's good. And, you know, to, from a track and field standpoint, you know, if you had an event eight laps around the track and, um, you know, we have we have runners saying at the first term, oh, I'm in fifth place. I can't win this. I'm just going to stop. Um, well, I mean, that's that'd be a dumb way to 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 uh, to run that race. You 
you're not positioning yourself to win right away. You're positioning yourself to, at the end, at the stretch run, being in a position to make that kick and and then, you know, place high or, or win the event. And that's the same approach with coaches. If I don't do that, though, if I'm inconsistent, what it communicates to this generation of recruits is, okay, you aren't, you aren't interested because, you know, from a written communication standpoint, going back to one of your other points, I can go through on, on my you know, text messages, I can go through and, you know, back, we have back and forth conversations with people. And so there's proof here that, you know, that this is back and forth. That's what I'm used to communicating. If you as a coach start off with that and then you stop, what does it communicate? It communicates, oh, you must not be interested anymore. Wow, that's too bad. I'm sort of interested in you, but you're not interested in me. Fine, I'm going to go over in this other direction and and communicate with this coach. Um, so consistent communication is so critical because it's measured by the prospect. And it's the only way that they are over a long period of time understanding that, okay, you really do want me. You're the one that, that has earned points. And even, again, it, it transcends your uh, your record what you know how long you've coached your facility um, even degree in certain cases you want me the most you've cared about me you've proven that you want to coach me okay that's where i'm going to go and the only way you can really do that is through consistent communication um as you've described it and certainly you know the there's a lot of written stuff that's out there uh, by us and other people that that talk about you know the importance and how to do written communication and, uh, and tell that story over a long period of time. Right. A couple of things I want to touch on before we open it up for question and answer. Um, yeah. One is uh, you could see on this um, this page is like I think this is a key principle that to understand as a coach, <clears throat> you're in the selling business, you're in the marketing business. Um, I don't have any kind of degree in marketing, you know, MBAs, nothing like that, but. I think it's important as a coach that you study what it means to sell. And I don't mean in a sleazy way. I think in, a, in an authentic, truthful, honest way that you're selling what you have to offer in terms of you, yourself, you, your school, your program. And so I think if you're going to be a good recruiter, you need to have a, a good understanding and study of marketing. So people that I put up here, like um Robert Cialdini, he's an expert on influence. He's written the seminal book on, on influence and persuasion. Uh, Seth Godin is a marketer and it talks about ways to bring your authentic self in a non-sleazy, non-used car salesman type of way to market and to put your best self forward into your work and into your um, persuasive strategy and into your persuasive conversation and dialogue. And so I think a lot of coaches you know, are afraid to think of themselves as marketers because of the used car salesman mentality. And, you know, Seth Golden is someone I think really talk, touches on this in a good way. This new book, this Unsold Mindset over on the right of the screen by Goggins and, and Brown is really, really excellent. It's really, um, it's really, really good. I, I, I would, any of these books up here, I would, I would heavily recommend, but it really talks about how to bring your authentic self and how to, and how to, to marketing, to selling, and it talks about how we're all in sales in different ways, but also it talks about how to have the right mindset of when you're recruiting your first prospect or your 20th prospect, how to keep it new and how to keep it engaging for you as the marketer. And so um, any of these four books, there are several others that I that I use, um, that I've read, that I, that I refer to, that I think about, but just understand you're in the marketing business, okay? Um, and so I think if you, if you don't think of that way, you're doing yourself a disservice and also maybe not approaching it the right way. 
Um, one thing I want to touch on uh, and that I want to talk about and maybe Dan can talk about as well, and then we'll open up the Q&A, is in the recruiting process, understanding who your partners are and who you should be partnering with to help you get your story out and get your message across. You know, obviously, you yourself are going to often be the main communicator to your prospects and their families. But, you know, depending on your school, depending on your program, your admissions office can be a really important place to help you tell that story. They have materials about the college, about different things. Um, so, you, you know, if your admissions office, a lot of schools, if you can, if you send them your recruits information, they'll put them on a regular mailing um, um, cycle. They'll put them on a cycle where they'll get prompts and emails and things like that about events, maybe even in the area where the recruit lives. So it's really important to include it whenever um, it makes sense, your admissions people. Um, the other thing is um, you've got professors on campus. The professors are usually really excited about the schools they're at. They're excited about what they teach. And so getting, you know, if it's appropriate for your place, getting professors involved in the recruiting process or other administrators and staff members talk about what they do. It can be formally or informally. It can be when kids are on campus. It could be even getting, doing short one-minute interviews. So so-and-so in the psychology department, this is the class we're teaching this fall. What are they excited about? You know, or ask them, what are the students like in your class? Or what do you, why do you love teaching at this place? So your professors are people who are deeply engaged in your school that can tell the story of why people might want to come to your school, what makes your school unique, what makes a certain program unique, things like that. Um, other people are your alumni. Now, most schools have prohibitions on alumni having direct contact with them, um, with recruits. This is Leah. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> um, most <laughs> places have prohibitions on, on alumni having direct contact. So we, our alums don't have direct contact with our recruits, but we use our alumni, to, we, we capture their stories, we capture their feelings, we capture um, why they thought our, our program was great for them, what they learned, what they liked about the campus, what they liked about the program, what they liked about the coaching, what they liked about the city, what they liked about the dorms. So your alums can tell a story um, in many different ways. It could be whether it's in letters or you can give videos or you can make profiles of prominent alumni from your program, but also from your school. And that's one thing. And then the other people you have that should be partners in your recruiting process are your current student athletes. You know, they can tell they're the people that are going to be the teammates of the people that you're recruiting. And they can talk about any aspect of your program, any aspect of you as a coach, any aspect of the school or the city. And they can say, oh, man, I love to go around and shop downtown. I love to go to this cafe and get coffee and study. I love the library here because X, Y and Z. I love the professors. Um, you know. We love to get together after dinner and go to the dining hall, whatever it might be. They can tell a story, too. So now it's not just you selling. You've got your admissions office. You've got your professors. You've got your alumni. You've got your current student athletes. Now it feels like, oh, man, all these people are saying this place is amazing. They can't be wrong, you know, type of thing. So I think using the part, using your partners and knowing who your partners are in the selling process and the marketing process is really, really important. Um, Dan, any thoughts on that? Uh yeah, I mean, all the resources you have on campus, and you I'll, I'll mention one that you, know, you mentioned admissions. Um, if you're a coach listening to this, and you have not taken your school's admissions tour, you need to for two reasons. Number one, you might learn a couple of things about the school that you didn't know. And number two, you get to see, for those of you that use admissions or are required to use admissions to do things like the campus tour, what they say about athletics, because what we've found is that it's not all flattering all the time <laughs> or they don't mention it or they give the portrayal that we don't really care about athletics at this school. So what we've uncovered is that a lot of recruiting 
gets destroyed when it goes over to the admissions department. Not that they're trying to, but just the student leaders they might have that aren't athletes, that don't have that perspective, um, don't do a good job of, of really telling that part of the story. So definitely use the resources uh, you know, that, uh, as, you know, Coach Tolbert just mentioned, but also, you know, do a little intel and figure out what are, what is my school saying? What do, would I want an athlete to hear what I just heard? And if not, then you have to come up with a strategy to, to get around that or to talk to the admissions about maybe changing the, the talk track. Cool. Thank you. Let's, um, open up questions, um, you know, questions, comments, feedback, uh, things you want to know about, things that are particular to your situation. Right, so um, if you said um, how you outline um, or how you provide um, like different communications over time, um, like whether it's letters monthly or different um, text messages, um, do you provide any kind of expectation for when the athlete or the parents should expect to hear from you so that there isn't a perceived communication gap? Yeah, so to be honest, like um, a lot of times, say I send an uh, email or a letter or a text about something, I might say, hey, I've got some more info information for you in a couple of days. Um, keep an eye out for it. Or um, if I send a, an email, I might say, hey, next week I'm going to drop a letter in the mail to you. You know, Keep an eye out for it. So they kind of know, hey, in the next X number of days, they should hear from me. I might, sometimes it's you know, depending on the topic or, or I might say, hey, tomorrow I'm going to send you some more on this. So they kind of know, oh, hey, I'm going to send your parents something on this. Let me know what they think. Kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of prompting and kind of moving things along to let them know, hey, you're going to hear from me again soon on this. Does that answer your question? And, and, and Ryan, let me just jump in, too, just to add on to what Kava just said, that um, you know, there's another way you can approach this as well. And that is, I mean, and I'm there are times when I'm a competitive jerk um, because I want to, you know, I, I like winning recruiting. And so if, for instance, everything that Cable was describing, everything that we've talked about here, if, if a coach is choosing to move this route, you know, or go this route where over consistent communication, variety of methods, what I might say, if I knew I was going to fall through on that is to tell that prospect, look, we want you and um, I'm going to prove it that we're going to be the best coach that communicates with you because we want you the most. And really that's the way you should judge some of the, you know, some of the programs is who's most interested, who takes the time to take, you know, to tell you about more than just track and field, but actually what it's going to be like here, pay attention, what, watch what coaches say or don't say, make sure they're communicating with you. Cause if not, that might signal that they're not, they're not that serious about you and we're going to be. And so then I get some perspective or I can outline some perspective as to like, look, as you see the process unfold prospect, watch and just by virtue of how we conduct ourselves in that process we're going to prove to you that we're the ones that want you the most and i we know strategically that that has worked as well any other questions i have a question um at the end of the recruiting cycle besides obviously who committed and who didn't like how do you evaluate yourself and like where you succeeded where you could be better um, so there's a couple of things. One is I ask parents, you know, I ask, I ask, I do a couple of things. I ask parents, you know, what did other schools, even though kids that pick our place say, other places you visited, what did you like better than our place? I'll just ask, them. you know, they're coming to your school. So it's, that's a good place to learn. Um, so I ask that. And then kids that pick other schools. So this is me personally, like, you know, another, I know a lot of coaches will say, oh man, you know, they'll get upset with the families. They'll raise a ruckus. Uh, I mean, 
there's times where I think kids make poor decisions or bad decisions or decisions that aren't in their best interest. 99.9999% of the times I say, you know, best of luck, you know, that place is a world-class school, that that's a great institution, that coaches, you know, because even every, every, every school has something that's attracted to somebody. And so even if I think it's a mistake, I want to say good luck, you know, um, thank you for your time and your interest. And, um, you know, if you need anything, let us know. If we can help at all, let us know. Now, we don't do transfers. So Harvard takes like 12 transfers a year for the whole university. So it's not about getting them if they want to transfer into that. But what happens is there's two things. One is, you know, I've had, a, I've had a kid that picked out one of our rival schools and they were like, wow, coach, you, you were so nice about it. And I was like, what do you mean? They said, well, it's only, I talked to another coach earlier today when, they t- when I told him I wasn't coming to this school. They told me they couldn't believe it and I was making a big mistake. I was like, well, one, like, does that ever work and get them to change their mind? But two is like, you know, this kid is picking a college. It's important to them and their family. They should feel good about it, even if they don't pick your school. So you want to leave that family feeling like good about their interaction with you and the whole recruiting process as much as possible. Because one, their friend, their cousin, their teammate is going to be looking at schools and they say, oh, yeah, I didn't pick that school, but I really liked it. If it had been a little less expensive or been a little closer to home, I would have picked it. You should take a look at it. I think you really like it. So now you got people who even, I've had families who didn't pick us. They come to me in the stands at meets, say, oh, man, we really like you. Hey, we got a kid in our club that we think would be really great for you. Now you're building allies. But you got, but, but the other reason why I'm making sure I'm really nice about it is like, usually after they tell me no, I actually follow up in about two weeks and say, hey, I just wanted to talk to you about the recruiting process. Um, not trying to change your mind at all. I just want to get some feedback. Like anything you think we could have done better. Anything you think we could have done differently that would have made a difference or anything you saw that you didn't like. And usually people are pretty honest with me. They might say, no, coach, you know, everything was great. It just, we needed to be on the West Coast. Or, no, coach, it was great. We just, the financial aid or no, coach, it was great, but da 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 And so I get feedback and over the, you know, over years, if I'm getting things that are consistent, okay, we got to work on this. So I need to be aware of this. or I need to message this better. And so um, between the people that come and the people that don't come, um, I get feedback and I talk to them, the kids, I talk to the parents, I talk to their coaches. Sometimes I talk to guidance counselors and things like that. So I'm getting feedback from all those people from the ones that come and the ones that don't. So I've got a question. Okay. So my question is, you know, you've, you, you guys have gone through the process, you know, you've built obviously the rapport, the relationship, um, you've, you've made the offer there, you know, you're, you're in the, you're in their top three. So you guys have, you've done the work, um, over the specific amount of time, what are the steps to closing? Like, how do you how do you make that final push to get that commitment and final sell? Like, what are some tips that you guys have on getting that final closing of the you know of the commitment um, and, and really getting them to to move from maybe if you're number three on the list up to number one? Uh, what's the what are some tips and strategies of of closing if that makes sense? So I'll tell you two or three things that come to mind for me. Uh, one is um, we try to, um, throughout the recruiting process, I can nail things down. So by the time we invite people to campus, we want to be one of the top two or three choices. In most cases. If, you're, if we're four, five, six, or seven, unless it's an extremely special case, I'm not inviting them to campus because the odds are very, very low. It's not a good invest- investment of time, energy, or money. That's me personally. Um, but the second thing is that what often what I'll say is like, you know, if we're in the top choice or the top two, say, you know, based on what, you know, during our recruiting conversations with them and their parents, say, based on what I'm hearing, it feels like we're, we're one of your top choices or, or we are your top choice. Um, do you feel, I might ask them before the visit, do you feel ready to commit based as long as the visit goes well, as long as the visit holds up to what you expect? And so now you kind of have a pre-commitment from them and maybe from you as well. And it's like, okay, as long as the visit goes well, I'm, I'm going to commit to you. 
Um, the, the other thing I'll, I'll do is say, you know, sounds like we're your top choice. Um, sounds like you you have a little bit of concern about this. Like kids will say, I want to make sure I vibe with the team. I want to make sure I enjoy the campus. So you sound like we're your top choice and you're just worried about you, you're concerned about, you know, do you fit in with the team? If you feel like you fit in with the team, do you feel like you'll be ready to commit right after your visit or on your visit? But if you feel like that you like the city or the environment of the dorms or whatever their objection, small objection or concern might be, if that you feel good about that after your visit, do you feel like you'll be ready to commit at the end? And so now you've got a process where they're mostly committed and as long as that one thing they're concerned about goes well, they're committed and you're committed to them. So those are some of the things I do, but um, Dan, anything on you? I mean, yeah, this could be like a separate webinar on, on, on closing, but um, just to be brief and, you know, just to add a little bit to what you just said, I mean, I would say, first of all, you have to ask. And I say that because a lot of coaches just don't want to ask because they don't want to, I don't want to pressure them or, I've worked so hard. I just don't want the answer. Maybe they'll just tell me. And on the other side of it, the kid is, and sometimes the parents are waiting to be asked. Um, a lot of them show up on campus. And if they aren't asked to commit at the end, they're sort of disappointed. And some are they, they are insulted. And that's what you know knocks that school down the list. So when you decide you want them, I think you should start asking, are you ready to commit? And if they say not yet, well, then, okay, why? What, what are you still waiting on? Well, I need to figure this and this, this out. Okay, great. Now I have my list as a coach to go and, and answer those questions. Um, so I think step number one is ask. And um, and if they say not yet, my response would be no problem. Hey, take your time. Uh, but, you know, don't be surprised if I ask you again in a couple of weeks because we really, I've decided I want you. You've got the marks. You have the times. And I think you'd be a perfect fit here. Um, you know, there's a, there's a very famous study or principle in, in, um, in sales in general, in just the business world. And that is that we need to be asked as consumers about five times before we even start to think about buying something. So think about, you know, insurance commercials, think about, you know, a, a brand of a clothing or tennis shoes or something like we have been asked over our lifetime to buy those hundreds of times and some of us still haven't bought them but we're getting close or at least familiar with the brand why because they keep asking us to buy it the first time you ask me to buy something i'm probably gonna say no or not yet i, I don't know i need to think about it i'll give some excuse the fourth or fifth time though i'm going to start to think as a prospect you know what that coach really wants me they're number three or four on my list but why aren't number one and two asking me as much as 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 he is and I begin to now sway towards the person who's asking because you're giving me proof that you want me. And at the end of the day, I want to go where I'm wanted. So step one, the, the part that you have control over is you can ask. You're, you can't force them to decide, but you can ask uh, and and get answers and feedback. And, and a lot of times you'll get yeses, but you have to ask. Uh, let's take one more question. Anybody, if you have them. Going twice. Can I, can I offer a question, Kiva, yeah. real quick? Oh, yeah. If if a coach were to ask, so what is one thing with this particular class that I need to do that maybe I'm not doing now? I'm going to beg you to talk about money as early as possible. And you know, for most of you, you're midway through this class. As early as possible, if you haven't done it yet, please talk about money. Talk about what you can offer, if anything, what the school typically offers. Here's our average package. 
Have you done the net price calculator as a family? Okay, what did it say? Okay, if it said X, then is that something that you'd be able to do? Why am I saying that? Because again, you look at the times that we're in right now, this little snapshot, um, a lot of families are stressed about money. They're cutting back. They're really figuring out what do we spend money on? What can we spend money on? And moving into, you know, this, you know, you know, moving into 2024. If I, as a coach, don't find out if they can afford this, I'm wasting my time and I can't afford to waste my time. And so I would say the one thing you have to start talking about is money and getting comfortable with it. Again, not saying what you can offer if you're at a division three school, you don't have any choice in that, but you do have, you can have the conversation. So please, please, please start having the conversation about money with your prospects. We talk money by a second conversation with every family. Like, you know, is money, I ask them, is money a concern? Some say yes, some say no. If they say yes, I say, do you want to go online? Usually it's on a Zoom call. Do you want to do that price calculator? We're going together. How does that look? Oh man, we're surprised. Oh, this is outside of the range. If it's outside of the range and it's important, you 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 save months. And if it's like if it's in the range, now you can have the green light to go. Yeah. So and they know what they know what it's gonna cost. So I mean, it, I do it by the second conversation, ninety nine and a half percent. College Recruiting Weekly is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2023 and 2024. To contact the host, email him at dan at dantutor.com. Also, remember to rate and review our podcast right now. Plus, tell your fellow coaches about the show. And stay tuned for the next amazing episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Oh, oh.